Good evening and welcome to Refuge. Uh, my name is Nicole. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, Refuge is a safe place for all people to explore and restore their faith in Jesus and his church. If you're visiting here with us for the first time, we are five weeks into a series we're calling Emails from Paul. If you've missed any and would like to catch up, you can do that on Facebook, YouTube, or our website. Or if you like to do podcasts, just search for uh, Refuge Fort Myers on your favorite podcast app. Um, Can I just pray one more time? Just do you mind? Does anybody else have a medical emergency 15 minutes before church started or just my family? So my head's kind of all over the place. Uh, so if you would just uh, join me in prayer as we just go to the Lord one more time and ask for his guidance over tonight. Father, I thank you for all that you are and all that you do. I thank you for this message that you've placed on my heart. I pray right now you would just call my mind, call my heart, call my nerves and allow me to deliver the message that you've put on my heart and you be honored and glorified in all of it tonight in jesus name amen so tonight we are looking at we're going to be working through ephesians and i just wanted to show you this book right here this book is called uh the dictionary of paul and his letters so all of the epistles all of the books we've been working through are paul's letters and this is just a dictionary to help you study I use this in school. I'll hold it up so you all can see. It's a little heavy, so it can't be up there too long. And so I just wanted to show you this to kind of make fun of the teaching team, thinking that we could do a single book in 30 minutes every single week. We've bitten off a lot. I think that we're, we're doing just fine. But I just kind of wanted to put in perspective for you just kind of the uh, insanity that we're doing. And so... and. I had this book the whole time, and this week I was like, what am I going to preach about? And this book was sitting at my mom's house all week long, and she sent me a picture of it today, and I was like, I really could have used that. So <laughs> there's that. So tonight, like I said, we're, we're talking about Ephesians, and I love the book of Ephesians. And so to start tonight off, I want to do it a little differently than I normally do, um, and I want to show you a picture. I know I'm not usually the visual aid type of person. I'm just get in, get dirty, get it done. But tonight, I want to sh- share some pictures with you. The first picture, um, <clears throat> this is uh, called the Church of Annunciation. And Annunciation, if you don't know, is when the angel came down to Mary to announce that she was going to have a baby, savior of the world. So yes, Mary did in fact know. Um, This is a Catholic church in Nazareth. Nazareth is where Jesus grew up. And Nazareth is located in Israel on the continent of Asia in the Middle East. The population now is about 80,000. The population when Jesus was kicking around was about four to 500. Um, So to put it in perspective, uh, Fort Myers has about a population of about 100,000. It's the second largest city in Florida, although it feels like all the people in the world are in Fort Myers, Florida. And um, so when Jesus walked the earth, Nazareth was more like um, Saluda, North Carolina, which is a real place. It's about 500. I looked it up. I was like, give me a town in America that's got 500 people in it. Saluda, North Carolina. It's a family run, backwoods, everybody knows everybody type of uh, town. And I got another picture I want to show you. Anybody ever seen this picture? Does anybody know what this painting is? No, that's okay. No worries. This isn't humanities class and and we're not talking about the meaning of art. This is called the Madonna and child. Does anybody know who's in this picture? Mary and Jesus. There, There we go. 
Um, and so what stands out to you about this picture? Okay, so like you don't got to think deep. Like I said, this isn't humanities. We're not, we're not trying to interpret art here. But what stands out to you about this picture? Halos. Okay, you guys, you deeper mean, who said that? Who said they're white? They're, they're white. <laughs> they are white people. Is a... <laughs> So they're white. Um, and I don't know. I don't know. Raphael painted this in like the 1500s. So ask him. So like I said, this, this was painted by a man named Raphael. Man, not the turtle. Who was a white European Anglo-Saxon dude. So of course he painted the Virgin Mary and baby Jesus through the lens of a white European Anglo-Saxon dude. So we get white baby Jesus and white Virgin Mary. Um, and I, so I wanted to share a picture of you, um, of it's 2023 technology is wonderful. And this is what Jesus probably looked like according to AI and technology that we have available to us today. Not white, not European, not Anglo-Saxon. Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jewish man. And this is most likely what Middle Eastern Jewish men looked like when Jesus walked the earth. So how did we get here? How did we get from a Middle Eastern man to a marshmallow baby Jesus without a diaper? <clears throat> and it's the gospel. The gospel speaks such a deep, to a deep universal human experience of our lostness and our lost sense of identity and our desire for meaning and hope and purpose. The gospel transcends all of that. So when the gospel goes into a culture, we as human beings, we can't help but to think of Jesus and Christianity in light of our background, our culture, our lived experiences. So we get white Jesus. That's your cue card. See, we get white Jesus. You seen that on Facebook? That's not Jesus. Wait, is that, was that Obi-Wan Kenobi? I don't <laughs> Uh, does anybody know the background behind this portrait of Obi-Wan Kenobi? Somebody gave it to some, somebody gave it to their Mormon parents as a portrait of Jesus and it is now hanging in their, I don't know if it's still hanging in their house, but there is a picture of this portrait hanging in somebody's house with all their little like, uh, precious moment kitschy things. So somebody thinks this is Jesus. So let's go back to the church of Annunciation. I've never been there and I've never experienced it, but if you ever get the chance to, that, um, uh, when you walk into the church, you see the Madonna and child in a really cool way. See, when this church was built in the 1960s, they commissioned Christian artists from all over the globe, from different cultures, different countries, different backgrounds, to paint their version of the Madonna and child using their culture's imagery and traditions and colors and clothing and different ways to express it. I have a few pictures I would like to share with you tonight. I couldn't get all of them, but um, this is, uh, is it China? China. This one's China. So we've got Chinese baby Jesus. And Chinese Mary. And then from the Dominican Republic. And then the next two I have to show you is um, Korea. And the other one is uh, Ethiopia. So as, we, as you can see is that Christians from all over the globe, all over the country, see Jesus and their faith in Christianity through the lens of their culture, through their background. 
then the idea behind sharing this with you tonight is to try to work away any preconceived ideas that we might have about Christianity being a Western religion, that we know it all, we were the first ones, we're the chosen ones, you know. Um, but to break down those walls to see that all people are welcome under Jesus, for what Je- under what Jesus has done on the cross. Like I said last week, Jesus is for all people. Our culture, our lived experience, our circles of influence, they all speak to how we view Christianity and Jesus. So how did we get from a small town Middle Eastern Jesus Messiah to Obi-Wan Kenobi? The answer is actually Jesus because Jesus is for everyone. Every race, culture, background, gender, no conditions, no exclusions. So sometimes because of my story and my background, when I sit down to write a sermon on a book like Ephesians, I feel like I need to deconstruct it for you. There's a lot in Ephesians that I've deconstructed myself. It talks about marriage and slavery and parenthood. And when I first sat down, I was like, you know what? I'm going to like blow their minds. I'm going to work from it backwards and deconstruct it and talk about how this was taken out of context, how this is used, how this is weaponized. And um, that is because of um, my background. And certainly there are passages that we could do that with. But if I were to do that tonight, I would be missing the point of Ephesians. And wanting to um, see, and wanting to, you to see scripture from my perspective and my background and, and, and even a little bit of my pride would be missing the point. So tonight, as we talk about Ephesians, it's, a, it's different from Paul's other letters And it's actually not written to a specific church to address specific problems. I know we've been driving that home real hard the last few weeks, but Ephesians is actually the only book that's not written to a specific church. It's kind of more of a broad letter. They believe that it was kind of circulated to cities, not just Ephesians. And even even that, I was like, I can talk about how we don't even know who it was written to. We don't even really know who wrote it. But again, that would be missing the point. Ephesians reads more like a sermon on the greatest themes of Christianity, love, Jesus. And it's very similar to Colossians. 75 of the 155 verses in Ephesians are also in Colossians. So I basically preached half of Ephesians last week. So there's nothing more to say and you all get to go home. Just kidding. Sit down. And because they're so similar, that's part of why I got stuck this week is because what do I say that I haven't already said? What do I say so that I, I glorify Jesus, so that people see Jesus, people who don't know Jesus like I know Jesus? What can I do? What can I say? So I actually put on the worship set list this week and just put it on the computer back there and just turned it up really loud and just walked around the room. And I was like, okay, I got to figure something out because it's Thursday afternoon and I have to preach on Saturday. So as I was listening to the worship set, Blessed Assurance came on. And then I ended up putting that on repeat and the words, this is my story. This is my song, praising my savior all the day long, just repeated over and over in my head and in my heart. Paul opens his letter with a greeting, you know, because manners matter. And then he praises God. What does he praise God for? He praises God for his purpose and for his people. He praises God for adoption, redemption, revelation, and reconciliation that is accomplished through Jesus. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7 say this. All praise to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out onto us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. One thing that stands out to me in this short passage is that he adopted us into his family. In the Roman law at the time that Paul said this, when adoption was complete, it was complete. The person who was adopted had all the rights of a legitimate heir to his new family and everything from the old family was gone. In the eyes of the law, they became a brand new person. Any debts, obligation, ties, or connections with the previous family were obliterated as if they had never existed. And so let's talk about God's family. Let's talk about the family we've been adopted into. It's a little dysfunctional. Let's let's look at it from beginning to now. Creation, humanity begins, and, and it goes well for roughly one to two pages. Then the fall happens. Humans want autonomy from God. They want to um, define their identity independently from God. And so we have the fall. They sinned. They got kicked out of the garden. We get to Abraham. And God chose a broken, fragmented tribe that he would later call Israel. And what he wanted to do through this family was bring salvation and redemption and healing to the human story. If you go back and read it, that was God's purpose for Abraham and his family to bring redemption through love and justice and generosity. Fast forward four to five hundred years, he gives them uh, the law. He He desired that this nation would change the world. He wanted them to be different. So he gave them this law. He gave them a set of rules to set them apart, to set them apart as holy dietary laws, Sabbath, circumcision. We've talked about a few of those here. And these would actually act as a cultural marker. This is deep and dense. And I know some of you are like looking at flies flying around the room. Just bear with me. We'll get through this this tough stuff. But this was supposed to be a covenantal relationship with humanity and God. If you follow all these laws, you are my people, and together we'll do really awesome, really cool things. But Israel did not hold up their end of the covenant so well. They don't fulfill God's call to be just. They don't fulfill God's call to be generous or loving. What they actually end up doing is taking these cultural markers, like I said, the dietary laws, the Sabbath, the circumcisions, and they create a barrier and a boundary And it becomes a matter of cultural pride. And every culture has this. It's how we assert who we are, who's in, who's out. If you do this, you're part of us. Everyone else sucks because they don't do it our way. It's cultural pride. And Israel forfeited its right 
as a light to all nations. So then Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, came to do and be for Israel what it could never do or be for itself through sacrificial love and grace. That's dense and heavy, right? Are you still with me, though? For those of you who like learning are, those of you who don't are tapped out. So we're going to go to Ephesians. And maybe I can start to preach and engage you guys a little bit. So spit warning. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Verse 4 says, But God's so rich in mercy and loved us so much that even when we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. So what was God's purpose for his family? Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 11, it says, In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his will, so that we, the Jews, who were first to trust in Christ, would be praise and glory to God. God's purpose for the children of Israel, the Jewish people, was to bring honor and glory to God through kindness, through justice, through love for one another. But because of cultural pride and humanity, instead of looking to the law to actually make them holy, it made them arrogant. And instead of bringing honor to God, they glorified themselves and a barrier was set. Insiders, outsiders, Jews, Gentiles. But look at what Paul says next in in verse 13. He says, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own. When you believed in Christ. He identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us an inheritance he promised and that he purchased us to be his own people. And he did this so that we would praise and glorify him. So what barrier, what criteria, what access did Paul say was necessary to be identified as a child of God? To receive that inheritance as an adopted child, what was the access card that Paul said was necessary? When you believe in Christ. That's it. Law fulfilled, grace won, barriers gone, broken down. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, we've been adopted into God's family. And everything of our former selves is gone, including those things we held so much cultural pride in. Like I said, for the Jews, it was circumcision and different dietary laws and all of the laws. But the only thing that identifies us as children of God is our belief in Jesus. And why did he do all of this? Why did he adopt us into his family? Why did he make us his own? Why did he go to the cross so that he could bring reconciliation and healing and forgiveness? So that we might glorify him. So that we would praise him. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit and washed in his blood. Ephesians two fourteen through 17. <clears throat> For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people in his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us 
And he did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentile by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done. And it's not about what I have done or how I can preach or what I can do or what I stand for. The things that I take such cultural pride in, the deconstruction that I take such pride in, it all comes back to Jesus and his immeasurable grace for all people. God's plan from the start was to have one united family in pursuit of love and justice and worship of God. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, for there is one body, one spirit, just have you been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. But the reality is that we get in the way. Our humanity, our pride, gets in the way of us being a unified family. Jesus was put on the cross because of hostility. Hostility between Jews and Roman, hostility between Jews and Gentiles, hostility between people, conflict between families and tribes and cultures and belief system. Jesus was hung on the cross because of hostility. But what Jesus did is he takes all the different tribes of humanity, all the different cultures in the background. Paul talks about two groups, Jews and non-Gentiles. That's what he's talking about that there. And he reduces it down to one thing, one family, one team. Jesus' purpose on the cross was to create one new humanity. His life for all of us, his death for all of us, because the goal is one new humanity. And the only entrance requirement is to humble ourselves before Jesus' grace. Acknowledge that I am a screwed up, prideful human being and that I am a part of a culture at times that thinks it's better than everybody else. I've talked about that. I've shared that with you is that through my deconstruction, through my studies, through my degree, that I get such a pride that I'm a better Christian than other Christians. I'm more loving, more accepting, more, more whatever. I'm just better. I'm a super Christian. I do it the right way and everyone should do it like me because I am the best. But this new family that God calls us to, this new humanity that Jesus wants for the whole world is the church. Big C, under one Lord, one faith, one God. Every tribe, every nation, every language, every culture, every background is welcomed because of one thing. And one thing alone And that's grace. We are not bound by law and any other man-made condition set as boundary markers due to cultural pride. The only requirement is to confess Jesus 
as Lord. The old way of doing things with the law is behave, believe, belong. You have to behave the right way, and then you have to believe the right way, and then you get to belong. But the new way, and the way that we try to practice at refuge, the way we try to make a part of our culture at refuge is that you belong already. Who you are, exactly the way you are, you belong already. We're all part of God's family, and this is a safe place where all people already belong. And as you find community and you explore and restore your faith in Jesus and you encounter Jesus and you experience Jesus through times of worship and through our teachings, you come to believe either again or for the first time or for both. And then through the sense of belonging and the cultivated belief in King Jesus, then that changes your behaviors Not to conform you to our set of rules or the way that refuge does things, but behavior marked by the king in pursuit of love, justice, kindness, joy, peace, patience, goodness, all of the fruits that come from love. Ephesians 3, 6 says, and this is God's plan. This is God's plan. This isn't Paul's plan. This isn't Nicole's plan. This isn't refuge plan. This is God's plan that both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and enjoy the promise and blessing because they belong to Christ. Remember, we talked about adoption and how when you got adopted into the family, everything from that new family was yours, including the inheritance. Everything from the old life is gone. And you get all the new stuff under that new family, all debt. Everything else is obliterated. So if anybody wants to adopt me, I'm up for sale. God's verse 10 says in God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Both groups coming together, sharing the same inheritance equally, part of the same body, enjoying the same blessings. Why? Because they belong to Jesus. We all belong to Jesus through his grace and his grace alone. Not what I have done, but what Jesus has done, knowing that I could never do it for myself. I could never behave good enough to earn forgiveness. I could never do what Jesus did for me on the cross. Verse 10 says something subtle. But very huge in my opinion. He says God's purpose was to display his wisdom in its rich variety. God's purpose was that a diversely unified church, body, and family would challenge the wisdom of this world and show God's wisdom and God's plan. We're richly diverse here at Refuge. And that was God's purpose. That all, of pe- all people and all of their diversity, whatever makes them different, would be celebrated. All people coming together under one family, one adoption, one grace, one Lord. But human beings are arrogant and insecure and sometimes both. 
and they find something to grab onto that gives them meaning. And we all do this. We all set our own cultural boundaries and markers and barriers, keeping people out or in. And we set up enemies and we direct our hatred to those who are different or disagree or do things a different way. To assert some sort of, of authority over them. This book right here is called The Story of Christian Theology. And this is part one of two. That I read cover to cover in my time and working on my bachelor's degree. And this, sto- this book goes through the history of how we've gotten to the things that we believe. Men arguing over how we do communion and what communion means and what the elements mean. And is Jesus' is spirit in the bread and the wine before we eat it? Or is Jesus' spirit in us after we eat it? How does it work? So they argue about it. And then I have to read it thousands of years later and take quizzes on it. And I don't understand it. Well, I do understand it. That's why I uh, graduated with honors. Um, but we're going to disagree. This book is about different disagreements and breaking off from different denominations. We're going to have disagreements. We're going to, but, um, that's what brings us diversity and human history. This book is full of it, of keeping people in or keeping people out. You don't do it our way, so you need to go be a Lutheran. You don't do it our way, you need to go be a Methodist. You don't do it our way, you go be Catholic. You don't do it our way, go be Christian. Are you getting my point here is that we've set boundary markers over and over again. And when we give in and allow these boundary markers, this cultural, this tribal pride to identify us, instead of allowing our adoption in Christ to identify us, division, bitterness, hatred, vendettas, superiority complexes, all of those invade who we are. And the story of Ephesians is as simple as this, is that I am a sinner saved by grace. I belong to a community of other sinners, that's you, who are also saved by grace. The binding common denominator in all of us in this room, of the churches full of people we disagree with, of pastors we disagree with, of authors we disagree with, the common denominator is Jesus. It all comes back to Jesus. We are sinners saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, God saved you by his grace when you what? When you followed the law, when you got circumcised, when you got baptized, when you did this, when you did that, when you cut out bacon. No, he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you cannot take credit for this because it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a a reward for the good things you have done. So none of us can boast. My salvation did not come when I began to deconstruct or I got my degree. It doesn't come because I read my Bible more than somebody else or how well I teach or preach or how well I lead worship or how many times I lead worship or how much money I give to the church, how much time I give to ministry, or even how well I love marginalized communities. My salvation is not tied to any of that. Because it's nothing that I can do and it's nothing that I have done, but through grace and grace alone. 
Pride is my old nature, which is something Paul tells me to take off. He says, throw off your old sin for nature and your former way of life. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitude. Put on that new nature, the new family that God created you to be and be righteous and holy. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace. And he purchased our freedom with the blood his son gave to forgive our sins. This is what God intended from the beginning. This was his plan that all people would be adopted into his family and be reconciled to him. That we would be a new people, a new humanity, a united family. Our old way of living, thinking, behaving, gone and dead like it never existed. This is my story. This is my song. I am a child of God. And that calls me to worship. I'm going to ask the band to come up and we're going to move into a time of worship. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 say, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. We did that tonight in worship. We invited the Holy Spirit to come and have his way. Be filled with the Holy Spirit singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, making music to the Lord in your hearts. Give thanks for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, praising my Savior all the day long. As we worship tonight, I pray that our hearts are filled with gratitude. As we thank God for this adoption, for this forgiveness, for this reconciliation that comes through his grace alone. Through what Jesus did on the cross, he brought us into a family to be unified. We are children of God without condition. It's only through grace. This is our story. This is our song, praising our Savior. Father, I thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy, for your kindness. That you gave of yourself to tear down barriers and boundaries that were meant to keep me out of your family. That through your grace, I've been adopted and brought in as a child of God, as an heir to salvation. Father, as we move into a time of worship, would you fill our hearts with praise and thanksgiving? Would you remind us to be thankful for your grace as we worship you for all that you've done? Thank you for making me a child of God. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.